Made for Love, a Catholic storytelling podcast from the USCCB about real people living out the call to love. Twice a month, host Sarah Perla cuts together episodes on topics ranging from dating as a Catholic to when families experience a loss due to suicide. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you're getting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Episode two. Here we go. Not canceled after our return. (laughs) Nope. Good work. No. Good to be back again. Uh, What are we drinking this week, Zach? So this week, uh, our guest, who Olga will get into in a second, recommended that we engage in some St. Louis uh, style brews. That's that's where he's from, or where he's living right now? Yes. and, And I think he was... Looking for us to drink something. I think he said something. craft beer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> I did look for Four Hands, which is a great St. Louis brewery. However, that's not easily obtainable in the New York City yeah. area. And so we are drinking another St. Louis delicacy. Uh, not Imo's Pizza, but Bud Light. Yes. Anheuser-Busch. A nice 22-ounce can of the good stuff. Yes. All right. So I'm just going to... Crack that open. Wow. <laughs> it's heavy. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Cheers. Mm, it's good stuff. I actually that tastes like college. Craft okay. beer. They look like college, too. Yeah. Uh, so who is this St. Louisan that we're going to be talking to, Olga? So he is Father Joe Laramie, who is the author of Abide in the Heart of Christ, a 10-day personal retreat with St. Ignatius Loyola. And he wrote this book because he's been giving retreats for many years, and he's a campus minister in St. Louis. So he wanted to make retreats a lot more accessible to Catholics all around the world, basically. Yeah, and I feel like we talk a lot about retreats, but never have really like focused, really honed in on the, the mm-hmm. topic itself, right? Yeah. yeah, and it was interesting, I think, having all of us here who have different experiences with retreats, namely me and Olga have, have never, never been, been. on one, and, <laughs> and, and you've been on a lot. So yes. we bring uh, those perspectives to the interview, which I think makes it really interesting. Yeah, um, so we're going to talk to Father Joe about retreats, Ignatian retreats, and the Ignatian spirituality in general, and more. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Olga? So this week, Pope Francis returned from his trip to sub-Saharan Africa, his second, and where he visited Mozambique, Madagascar, and Mauritius. And during this time, as expected, he met with a lot of political leaders, including the presidents of Mozambique and Madagascar, attended an interreligious gathering, and visited a lot of social ministry organizations throughout the various countries. Yeah. uh, And so this is a significant trip. Um, As you said, the second time he went to sub-Saharan Africa um, and he's with these trips, he's highlighting a part of the church that is growing really fast. Um, The Catholic population in Africa is expected to reach 350 million by 2050. And that's out of a projected, I think, two billion total Catholics at that time. So it's it's a big part of the church. Yeah, significant chunk. And also coming out of this trip was uh, some classic sage advice from Pope Francis. Which brings us back to our recurring segment, Being Frank, where we listen to Pope Francis tell us what to do. Um, At a gathering of young people at a vigil in Madagascar, he told people, change the world, don't just gripe about it. 
And I was like, why don't you at me next time, Pope Francis? Because I really love to complain and I really don't love to do stuff. Yeah, no, it really struck me as like he was saying this to a gathering of young people who like are struggling with poverty and really bad problems who probably, in my mind, deserve to complain. So like if he heard the things I complained about, I feel like I would be in for some very um, frank talk. <laughs> yeah. And it's a reminder that, like, I mean, it's really easy to give into cynicism no matter where you are. And Jesus is telling us and Pope Francis is telling us not to do that. Yep. What's our next story, Ashley? Well, you might not have heard much about Pope Francis's time in Africa because much of the media attention were focused on his comments on the plane ride there and coming back. So on his flight from Rome to Mozambique, Pope Francis said, I am honored that the Americans attacked me when presented with a book um, that talks about the criticism that his pontificate has received from uh, more conservative leaning Americans. Yeah, the book was uh, How America Wants to Change the Church. Um, excuse me, How America Wants to Change the Pope. Um, and it's by a French Catholic journalist. And that set off the storm. And then he was asked about it again on the way back to sort of clarify his comments. Right. And on this flight back to Rome, an American journalist asked him if U.S. critics misunderstood his pontificate and if the Pope had learned anything from his critics, to which Pope Francis responded, he welcomes this open criticism and that such criticism is useful and shows love for the church. Yeah, I thought uh, there were a number of ways that this this comment was interpreted. People mm -hmm. are like, is Pope Francis just sort of subtweeting his qu critics? Is he like high haters? Uh, you can't keep me down. <laughs> um, but I think the like later comments sort of clarified that we should just sort of take him at his word, right? Like he's he's actually honored when people feel open mm -hmm. enough to critique him in a public facing way, in an honest way. Right. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that he said it's not you know, like you mentioned, Zach, it's not that the criticism is the issue. He has a problem when it happens, you know, behind closed doors or in secret. And he's like, you know, this is not loyal. We should be having these conversations face to face. Yeah, no, he had very blunt words about people who talk about him behind his back. He he said um, they they smile and show their teeth. And then there is a knife in the back. This is not loyal. This is not human. Um, so he if you have something bad to say about the Pope, best just say it, to, it his to his face, face <laughs> and he'll be fine with it. As usual, this story goes into a lot greater depth on this week's Inside the Vatican. And so if you're looking for more Pope Francis Vatican news, check that out with Colleen Daly and Gerard O'Connell. What's our next story, Zach? Shifting to the national scene a little bit, last week, Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark, New Jersey, joined hundreds of Catholics who were protesting immigration detention. Tobin blessed and joined the group of Catholics, um, and they marched to an ICE facility in New Jersey, and over 400 people were a part of this protest. Yeah, and it was really significant that a cardinal was participating in this. This is a follow-up on the Catholic Day of Action for Immigrant Children, which took place at the uh, Capitol in D.C., last month. And it was great to see, you know, someone so high level there even leading a chant outside the ICE building saying stop the inhumanity. Right. Especially, you know, we're still waiting to reach for our government to reach immigration reform. And it's always extremely encouraging to see how vocal church leaders are and how strong they are about the issue of immigration. Yeah. And it was nice to see like so many different uh, parts of the church marching together. You had um you know, Cardinal Tobin, you had uh, leaders from religious orders, religious sisters and uh, male religious orders and a ton of lay people. And it's super important that the church is, you know, on the front lines against this because there are still these attacks on human dignity happening at the border. And so that's exactly where we should be. Yep. What's our next story, Olga? So Archbishop Paul Etienne, who is the new 
uh, Archbishop in Seattle, announced on his first day that he will not live in the mansion that has housed Seattle prelates since 1920. Yes, he said, I am a pastor, not a prince. And he wants to live in a manner that's more reflective of how my people live. Um, and in Seattle, housing is actually a huge issue. And yeah. there are people who are homeless. And so it's, you know, he's saying it, maybe it's not a great look for a, a, even though we call them princes of the church, <laughs> for them to actually live like princes. Right. And if you're listening to the story and you're like, oh, that sounds like Pope Francis. It's because he it, he says he was inspired by Pope Francis's decision to forego living in the Apostolic Palace. Um, though he said it's not a it's not a reflection on how previous bishops have lived, but it's, um, you know, times have changed. And I don't know. We have, if I were this another bishop living in a mansion, I might take it as, you know, a, maybe not a direct critique, but, you know, a challenge to my lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a recognition that, you know, he, he says that bishops have a lot of trust to uh rebuild after the recent events of the past few years. And so this is one way of doing that. So the mansion is worth a lot of money, and he's saying that he would consider selling it to help fund other efforts that the diocese is doing. Yeah, and I love that he's he wants a lot of people to be involved in that decision-making process. And I feel like it's something we harp on a lot on the show is that the church has a lot of resources and we should be making smart decisions and consulted by the whole, you know, a lot of the church as to what to do with that to make the world a better place. And this is a great example of it. What's our next story, Ashley? So on the same day that Archbishop Etienne announced that he wasn't going to be moving into a mansion, he took to Twitter uh, to talk about ele- elevators. He said, what is it with elevators? I had to take the stairs on my first day in Seattle in the Seattle Chancery Building as the new archbishop. Nothing like a good cardio exercise to start the day. Seems a little like mixed messages. On the one hand, he's like, I don't want to live in a mansion. But then on the other hand, he's complaining about having the Well, take. this was not completely out of the blue. Uh, so, Right. So he was basically subtweeting Pope Francis, who a couple weekends ago was late to his weekly Angelus address. And the reason? He was stuck inside of a Vatican elevator for 25 minutes. <laughs> oh, man. To be able, I wonder who was in that elevator with him. And, oh, yeah. You know, what do you talk about? Yeah. Right, right. Well, here we are. <laughs> um, but he was finally rescued by Vatican firefighters, which I thought was interesting just because, surprise, the Vatican has its own fire department. Um, it, it's You might also be surprised to know it's got its own post office, uh, pharmacy, and evidently now robots are working in the pharmacy. Hmm. The Vatican is so much more advanced than I give it credit for. Right. And this just was a this story was a great reminder of, you know, the ups and downs of being Pope oh Francis. God, here they come. Oh, Lord. <laughs> How long have you been working on that? Uh, I've been workshopping it since the news broke. But, um, you know, at least he wasn't trying to buy the stairway to heaven. Oh, Lord. OK. I can't take any more. <laughs> What's our next story? All right. <laughs> Uh, our, I'd like to thank uh, Overwork Twitter jokes for that. So I, I might have stolen a few of those. Um, but our final story, and I feel like I've been dying to talk to you guys about this ever since it dropped. But a new film from Netflix, The Two Popes, is coming out in December, and the first trailer has dropped. Uh, it features Anthony Hopkins as Pope Benedict and Jonathan Price as Pope Francis. Of Game uh, of Thrones fame. Yep. Yes. I honestly feel like this movie was started because so many people realized that Jonathan Price looked exactly like yes, Pope he's, Francis. He's the sparrow, yeah. correct? Yes, he was the high sparrow in Game of Thrones. Um, so just quickly recapping what we know about the plot. And we don't know a lot. So if this turns out to be blasphemous, uh, please forgive me. <laughs> this is not an endorsement in no. any way. Uh, so then Cardinal Bergoglio is frustrated with the lack of progress in the church and asks Pope Benedict for permission to retire. 
retire, um, Benedict then summons Bergoglio to the Vatican and reveals, quote, a bombshell secret that supposedly he wants to retire, but we don't know what the secret is because it's still being revealed. Mm. And it's based on true events, but it's not a historical piece. So how true the events are, we will still see. Um, I made both of you watch it because Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. a lot of thoughts, but I'm curious to what your first reactions were. Yeah, I was not as excited as you were about this movie. It's kind of like, I don't know, I've been covering and reading about these popes for the past five years, and this seems like it's going to be a slightly less true version of the reality playing out in front of me, and not really sure why they couldn't, like, wait five years, maybe. <laughs> because we are, we have no sense of patience or of reality and fiction anymore. Or, so or like, we more creative ideas than just literally copying what's happening in front of us and putting it into a film. <laughs> all right. All right. I, I, I disagree, but Olga, what do you got? I had, initially, I had, I, I was thinking the same that Ashley was thinking, that, you know, this is happening right in front of us. We're in Catholic media. We see this every day. But then I thought, for people who are in the secular world, who don't really have an understanding of what happened with between these two popes and what you know what they're actually like this might actually be a good opportunity but that's my other concern too because if they aren't informed this film i have a feeling because films mm-hmm. like drama and tension is probably going to make it seem like pope francis and benedict are like enemies which is not true well yeah. they, look, they look friendly in the trailer at least i don't yeah. know what the film is going to be it's like. given mixed messages which i think is intentional mm-hmm. um and i feel like maybe you are just like projecting on anthony hopkins because he was of course <laughs> hannibal lecter yeah that, could be that true. is true <laughs> um but it, little known fact and maybe i don't know it's not little known but he was also c.s lewis in the film shadowlands so maybe yeah. just bring that perspective okay. and that'll and he's also a, an american in this <laughs> movie <laughs> very thrown off by why anthony hopkins has no accent, yeah. no German accent, but for some reason, Jonathan Price has a Latino accent. Very Right. It feels like they were just like, okay, Anthony Hopkins, he's Welsh. You know what? Just bring that accent. It's close enough. You guys can work with that. Yeah. Listeners, what did you think when you saw this trailer? Are you excited for the film? Not excited? Shoot us an email, jesuitical at americamedia.org. question do you want me to call you father joe or just joe or father laramie yeah or father yeah, laramie. so many options um the students on campus call me father joe but i mean just joe's fine too yeah for respect and brand consistency we'll go with father joe we'll go with father joe <laughs> okay so, much obliged for those of us who have never been on a retreat what happens at one and by those of us, there are some people on this podcast who have never been on a <laughs> yep. retreat. Ashley and I have, <laughs> yeah. correct, right? Ashley, no, you've never, never been, been on one. Neither have I. Okay. And I retreat more than the French. So <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, I've been on many retreats myself. I worked for two years at our Jesuit retreat house in St. Louis. It's called White House Retreat. It is not affiliated with that building in Washington, D.C., but <laughs> it is a big white house. Um, beautiful spot overlooking the Mississippi River. What we do there is weekend preached retreats for adults. Um, so it's in silence, but you get talks from a Jesuit or a layperson trained in the spiritual exercises about different aspects of the spiritual uh, life from St. Ignatius. You know, on a college campus, I helped with a nature retreat a year ago where we did some kayaking and hiking, as well as some small group discussion and prayer. So, you know, in a sense, it just means taking a little time away from your daily life to be with the Lord, to grow in your spiritual life. So that's yeah. a retreat. Why, why do most people decide to 
go on a retreat? Like, what does it what does it add to a prayer life that you can't get just praying at your bedside? Yeah, you know, it's on a college campus. We talk about wellness and uh, mindfulness, and this is you know the kind of ancient version of this kind of stuff. So, you know, we see Jesus and the disciples often enough going off to a mountaintop or to a seashore to be just in quiet, in prayer, maybe a little discussion. You know, it's just that sense of taking a break from your daily life to kind of carve out some spiritual time. I feel like uh, one of my great skills in life is pressuring people into making retreats or going on retreats. Um, (laughs) You haven't gotten me yet. That's true. (laughs) Neither of us, really. Well, it's funny. It was way, uh, I guess, it was way easier in in high school and college Mm -hmm. when there was sort of like time and built in sort of to your natural life. It got, it's like more difficult, I think in young adulthood. Um, but uh, why, Joe, why do you think that father Joe, excuse me, why do you think that people are hesitant to make retreats? I feel like I, even when there was that natural time in high school mm-hmm. and college, there's still a lot of people who are super nervous about really, I guess, committing to anything for a weekend, but especially <laughs> like getting locked up with a bunch of religious people is, uh, anxiety inducing in some. I hear you. Yeah, I think in a sense we're we're longing for this sense of quiet, this sense of peace, right? Okay, how many of us feel like I'm busy, my life is loud, I got all these gadgets around me. So we desire this quiet, this peace, and honestly we fear it, right? <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. sort of drawn to it and I'm afraid of it. You know, especially let's say a silent retreat. Some people like their eyebrows go up and then they don't come down. They're just kind of shocked and awed by the idea. But I find people that go, they love it. They come back again the following year. They say, you know, I need this. That's why I'm here. That there's an encounter with Christ. There's time for reflection, looking at my own life. But again, I'm not just sitting in a room alone for 72 hours. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talks. There's prayer. Maybe I'm journaling. Maybe I'm meeting with a spiritual director. So it's a real fruitful connection with the silence. So I think one of the things that is extreme makes the idea of a retreat even more anxiety inducing for me and you get into this in your book you say that one of the crucial parts of a retreat is to you know you mentioned encounter Jesus and make sure that you talk to him and that you listen to him but i find that that's something that i that is very difficult for me to just do in my prayer life on a day to day so what advice do you have from for people who are just like me who are starting from from that step sure so you know, I can say what every author says, right? Buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a sense, we all need a little structure, right? It's kind of like saying many of us want to get fit, get healthy. Well, what should I do? Like, I need a little guidance, right? Um, I can get a book. I can talk to somebody who's maybe been through this so that it's not just this solo journey of me trying to climb a mountain alone, but even, hey, I can do it with a couple friends. Do you want to do this with me? Let's chat um, and reflect on our prayer together. So we can do it as a community. One of my favorite retreats was uh, the one we just did for marriage prep. Um, Just because, I mean, it was, you think like, you're talking about like the structure and even needing that for things like fitness. Um, But you don't think like even in like your relationships, like you don't have this time set aside, like to just talk about the relationship itself, which I feel like is what happens on retreats beyond like the marriage one. It's like, you're just sort of there thinking about, you and God and your community. I think that's true. Again, that sense of hunger that we have, um, but it can be hard to sort of carve it out unless I'm deliberate about it. Again, things like, let's say we have Lent for a reason, right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not Lent year-round, <laughs> but we need Lent, okay? It's a time of purification, of kind of renewing faith. And again, we do that together. So at a retreat house, you're not there alone. Okay, you get a book, but you can discuss and reflect on your prayers together, maybe with a friend. Um, you know, hey, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Like you do, <laughs> you do a one-day retreat, you do a weekend retreat. Yeah. It's going to at least be okay and maybe amazing. So your book kind of it it provides a ten day it's a structure for a ten day at home retreat um and it it suggests taking an hour out of your day to to do some reading and some praying and some journaling what do you mm-hmm. what do you say to the people who say like one hour sounds like a really long time this is coming from Ashley who does at least two Asking a week for a two hours a week on the Bachelor <laughs> hey. I hear you. Um, again, you know, I, I got a full time job, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, Jesuit life is great, but we have our own events going on and it's your retreat, right? So what about one hour per weekend? So do it one hour on a Sunday over 10 weeks. Hey, that's fine, too. You know, also thinking about some fasting. OK, again, a little spiritual practice. OK, what out of what if I cut out a couple things during these 10 days to make a little more time for prayer? Okay, we all love social media. We all love TV. Okay, those things have their place. But what if I set those aside for a bit to open this space for prayer and and reflection? One of my uh, campus ministers said to me, yeah, we recommend, you know, like praying 20 minutes a night and, you know, busy people. We get it. You're really busy. We recommend you pray 40 minutes a night. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Yeah. These little kind of Jesuit catchphrases, right? Like, yeah, I'm so busy today that I have to make time for prayer Mm -hmm. (laughs) or don't just do something. Stand there. Right. (laughs) Instead of the flip side, don't just stand there. Do something like, well, maybe I need to first stand there for a minute. Wait, listen hear the Lord in my heart, and then I'll know what to do. Yeah. One of the things that I've found myself on retreats, and you go and you have this great time, and there's this, people talk about the retreat high. Um, um, You come away feeling like super connected to God. You're sort of just like on fire, bubbly. And then, but the retreat high can quickly turn into a retreat hangover when you go back to your, your daily life and people don't really get that you were connected with the and lord you're so much holier than yeah <laughs> they don't understand um yep. so what do you recommend to sort of keep the momentum going that happened like that happens on a retreat hey in your defense uh zach the apostles felt the same way okay mm-hmm. so let's say they go up the mountain with jesus they see the transfiguration it's awesome amazing a little confusing then they walk down talk to jesus a little more and then what happens like you know these possessed people start coming towards them or the Pharisees come at them. So, hey, that's going to happen. And yet trusting, okay, I am renewed through this experience. Um, Maybe I've begun some new habits or restarted some good habits of prayer and reflection. Again, even my journaling notes, I can look back at those, um, you know, kind of go back to the grace well, that it's not just a one-time event, but one that renews me for the road ahead. I have a somewhat delicate question, uh, something that's always really bothered me, and this is probably going to uh, trigger a lot of listeners, uh, especially Jesuit mm. educated listeners. Mm. Uh, it's always struck me. There's a lot of, in some retreats such as Kairos, there's a lot of secrecy around it. And I understand why, but I feel like a lot of people come away from these things, not equipped to talk about what happens on the retreat because there's mm-hmm. this culture of keeping the secret 
of what happens. On, so wait, you go on a retreat and you you're not supposed to talk to other people about it. You are, but there is this. I think. I mean, tell me, tell me if you think I'm wrong or off base here. But I think there is like this culture of oh, you just have to go. It's life changing. Like I can't tell you what happens on it because it'll ruin the. There is like a surprise element to uh, it. That's yeah. interesting. Right. Kind of like Fight Club, right? Right. Well, now I want to go. If someone had told me it was secret. Um. Right. So, okay. Let me say, actually, like, I, I'm not sure that's a great model for a retreat. <laughs> so I am aware. Yes. Okay. Some retreats have that. Um, but in fact, it should be something you can share with others. Yeah. Um, this is a grace given to me, but not just for me. In fact, it's supposed to be used so, yeah, I'll tell you about my 30-day retreat. Like, it's not a secret. Okay, some of it is personal and holy, so I might not throw that on my Facebook or Instagram. But to a friend or even in preaching or a classroom, I'm often looking for ways, okay, I found this in prayer. How can I share this with others? Um, you know, I don't want the preaching to be about me and my prayer, but rather kind of enlivening this grace for others to share it too. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Father Joe. This has been wonderful. Uh, we do have one last question that we ask all of our guests. So mm. if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be and why? Oh, my gosh. Boy, that's a good one. Um, oh, C.S. Lewis, kind of a fan of his. You know, he's not Catholic, but is certainly a faithful Christian. Um, he was a guy I read in college. Um Again, even his mix of some things that are explicitly Christian, but also kind of the Narnia tales that are more kind of playful and imaginative. Um, so I might put him out there. What's the what's your favorite C.S. Lewis work? You know, that first one's hard to beat, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, you know, it's sort of a kid's book, but again, one of these that you can get a lot out of, whether you're 20 or 40 or even older. All right. Awesome. Love Narnia. Thank you so much. Uh, the book is Abide in the Heart of Christ, and it is sold by Ave Maria, and you can find it wherever fine books are sold. Where else can people find your work, Father Joe? Yeah, I got a fancy website that my superior gave me permission for. It's just my name. Ready? JoeLaramieSJ.com. Wow. It's on Amazon also. Awesome. Awesome. No one else was sitting on that domain name. You were able to. <laughs> I snatched it up. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Thank Great. you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Father Joe. Thanks to you all. Blessings. Bye, Thank you. Made for Love, a Catholic storytelling podcast from the USCCB about real people living out the call to love. Twice a month, host Sarah Perla cuts together episodes on topics ranging from dating as a Catholic to when families experience a loss due to suicide. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you are getting this podcast. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. We have a new perk for our Patreon supporters. Want to tell us about that, Zach? Yeah, big Patreon news. Um, so we've started a Patreon-exclusive Jesuitical newsletter. Ooh. Yes, and so this is for anyone who supports the show on Patreon. At any level, any dollar amount, um, you're going to get a weekly newsletter written by one of the hosts, myself, Ashley, or Olga. And it's going to have all kinds of cool stuff on it. Yes, you can look forward to um, gifts from me book G recommendation gifs not gifts oh yeah GIFs. do you want to preview the uh title you have for this segment oh yes it's going to be gifts 
of the Holy Spirit. I just, I, I <laughs> this love is so that. clever. This so, is so clever. Gifts, <laughs> gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, book book recommendations, TV show recommendations, and also. Um, I like so this last week's episode I or this last week's newsletter I asked for advice so we'll be asking you guys for advice on the problems that we're having. So basically we're just going to instead of paying for therapy we're just going to ask you guys to be our therapists and counselors so be prepared so, for that. Win win. So yeah. <laughs> But that's not the only thing you get when you go to Patreon. You can also get things like Jesuitical t-shirts, buttons, a subscription to America Magazine, which uh, during our quote-unquote day job, we all edit. Um, so you can find all those details at patreon.com slash Media. All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. I've talked about the complicated relationship that I have with my future in-laws on the show before and how difficult that can be for me. But this past weekend, I got to spend the afternoon with my fiance's mother, where we just really bonded over the similarities between the food in the Dominican Republic where I was born and Ghana where she was born. And it was just such a fun, warm experience. And I don't often get to be in those spaces with her. And it was just extremely rewarding to be with her and just have her share a lot of the recipes that she cooked when she was my age. And it was just extremely consoling to see that I can have a positive relationship with her. So that was my consolation. Man, food, food does amazing things. Yeah. yeah the table just brings people together. Yeah. What do you have, Zach? This week, I have a consolation as well. Uh, I was walking into Mass this Sunday, and I, you know, got to my my spot in the pew, and I grabbed the book, flipped to the page to kind of peek ahead at what the readings were, um, and I all of a sudden had this, like, wave of anxiety over me because it's we're, we're in what I like to call the angry Jesus mm, readings in the gospel, yeah. where uh, Jesus is all like, uh, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they have to hate their family, basically. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Um, but he used but the word, really. not really. Yeah, he used the word hate. Um, and as someone who is looking at starting their own family here in the next month, I, I found this very jarring, confusing. I don't know what Jesus is talking about. Um, so I was surprised when I was sitting, listening to the homily, and I heard our priest just be sort of very vulnerable, um, you know, sort of courageous and say, all right, let's take Jesus on at his word. And, you know, what is he talking about? Um, and get, have, hear him give this very beautiful um, homily about freedom and true freedom and what it means to be um, disposed to the gospel and, you know, what the Christians at the time, the, you know, who were hated by their families in a lot of cases. But the consolation itself was just having this experience shift from one of anxiety and confusion, and I don't know what Jesus is trying to say to me, and sort of being led in the homily to um, this moment of prayer and thoughtful reflection. And it's not often that a homily makes its way into our consolations and desolations. And so I was really, really grateful for that this week. That's great. Yeah. What do you have, Ashley? I also have a consolation this week, one that I have been keeping inside for like two months, um, which is that my sister is pregnant. Oh, my God. So I'm going to become an aunt. Oh, and this is exciting. And I am like beyond excited. Um, and so uh, the consolation, I mean, like the whole thing, obviously, this is a consolation. But um, her and her husband had trouble getting pregnant. Um, and... And that experience and walking with her through that to get to this point just, like, has given me a whole new appreciation for just, like, how fragile life is and being so grateful to God for for that gift of life when it can be 
welcomed into this world by a loving family. Um, so there's that. And then also just this new, I'm feeling this new sort of love. Like we are different relationships bring out different sorts of love. And I'm like already getting that like fierce, protective aunt energy. <laughs> and, and it's just this new kind of love that like it's like I was with my sister over Labor Day weekend and she's she has really bad morning sickness. And so I just like had this feeling of like wanting to take care of her. Like she can't like do any work. She can't lift anything. Just like I want to make her food. And, and, <laughs> and I just already am like feeling feeling love so strongly for this for this baby That's, you're ready yeah yeah i'm ready <laughs> that baby's gonna be so loved yep so big news congratulations jackie and justin congrats <laughs> all right take us out of here ashley all right jesuitical is produced by eloise blondio our editor is noah levinson faith formation provided by father eric sundrup production help from tucker redding you can follow us on twitter at jesuitical show Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loshert Studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>